0: Just a note before we start. Our show talks about touchy subjects that may be difficult for some of our listeners. Take care of yourself. If you feel you need to seek help, see the links at the end of our show notes for resources. Welcome back to Touchy Subjects. I'm Sean.
1: And I'm Amanda.
0: And today we are going to be discussing language.
1: So what is it about language that has the way to make or break that conversation? Um, Kind of all depends on what we do with it and how it's interpreted, right?
0: Yeah. And with the holidays coming up, I am sure we are all super excited to be having those wonderful conversations that we have every year around Thanksgiving. Um, So we figured we would take the time to kind of do an episode on how to kind of navigate those conversations or make some of those conversations just a little bit easier because sometimes what we say isn't necessarily what we mean and sometimes what we say is often interpreted differently by whoever depending on who we're talking to But also sometimes we just flat out use the wrong language and offend people while we're talking to them. So we figured we'd take that time to kind of discuss the different ways that language can impact these conversations and then how we can kind of like rectify those or fix our language so that way we are not being offensive to our family members that we're talking to, but also kind of being more all-encompassing of whatever audience we may be speaking to. So really the first one we want to jump into, especially considering the work that both Amanda and I do Um, We want to talk about victim blaming or like some kind of like victim blaming statements that are often used.
1: So, you know, most of the time this stuff isn't intentional when we start to use these kinds of, of languages. It's something that we've heard for years or that we've said for years. And it's not necessarily the intent of the language to victim blame someone, but that's what comes across. And one thing i just want to point out it's really important to remember in this stuff is that what matters is how a different how another person receives that information right only only the other person gets to decide if what you said was sexual harassment only the other person gets to decide if what you said was offensive so while in your head it may have been just fine in reality That language can harm other people and it does. Um, So if you're sitting around, you're having a discussion um, and some some victim blaming phrases come out like, well, you know, they never should have drank that much alcohol at that party because what were they expecting to happen? That's one way that we can victim blame. It might be something that you've heard for a long time, but that can really trigger someone else.
0: So it can be triggering and also looking at just the different forms of victim blaming versus whether it's a sexual assault type of victim blaming or a victim blaming of somebody who's in a dating relationship. Those phrases might look a little bit differently. So like Amanda said like, oh, well, she wouldn't have drank that much. It wouldn't have happened or she should have known better is more in line with like the sexual assault victim blaming. But even statements like, well, I don't know why she would go back to him if what she said was so bad. I guess she was making it up or what she experiencing was, couldn't have been that bad if she ended up going back to him. Doing things or saying things about a victim that puts some of the abuse or makes it seem like some of the abuse is their fault or that the abuse isn't as bad as it may seem are forms of victim blaming statements. And what they do is kind of reinforce the idea that that victim is at partly at fault, which is what their abuser wants. The abuser wants that victim to feel like the abuse is going to be partially their fault because that's how they're going to maintain that power they have over them. Um, And I know these conversations can be kind of difficult, especially if it's a family family member making those comments. But it's important to try to navigate those conversations and point those things out to them because you are the people who are the most likely ones to be able to teach a family member about the way that they're speaking or how some of the things they can say can be harmful. Um, just as an example of this, a few years ago at one of our Thanksgivings, we were watching football, like always, because you know we love to be gluttons for punishment and watch the Lions lose every Thanksgiving. So while we were ha- while we were watching the football game, and one of the announcers that mentions Aaron Andrews or Aaron Andrews comes up as one of the reporters for that football game, and my family members start talking about how. If she wasn't the way that she was or something, then those nude photos of her, the nude videos of her that had been taken while she was in the confines of her own hotel room wouldn't have been taken. They were almost they were putting that blame on her because she was a woman in sports doing sports reporting. And I called him out on it. I said, hey, like she was in her own hotel room. Like that's not her fault for having those photos taken of her. She was by herself that person went out of his way to take those photos and videos of her to then circulate them online. And my uncle, one of my uncles and my grandpa were like, oh yeah, no, he's right. So like immediately, as soon as they were, like as soon as that those just pointed out to them, they recognized what they had said had is said incorrect and corrected their language or at least were willing to listen to receiving that information. So it can be difficult, but... It's not impossible to be able to have those conversations, and if your relationship with your family isn't one where you feel like you can make those comments, talk to a family member who might be able to have those conversations with them, or if it's more comfortable, have a side conversation with them, in front, not in front of everybody. Whatever would work best, and you're going to know your family is better than we are, obviously, so you know how to navigate those conversations maybe a little bit better than we would, but... Being willing to have those conversations, no matter how difficult they can be, can be great learning opportunities for your family members.
1: And just know that, you know, you're not going to change everybody's mind in your family about those things, but just making them cognizant of what they're saying and that it does affect other people um, that can that can kind of like lay the seed for maybe a future conversation Or, you know what, maybe your cousin who is sitting in the same room but not part of that conversation hears you, you know, stand up and defend, you know, and say that victim blaming is not acceptable. And now they understand that, one, they maybe have an ally in their fight or someone they can come out to and talk about something that's going on in their life. So you never really understand just how far that, like, butterfly effect can go. Just by calling out a family member and saying, hey, you know, I would appreciate it if you don't talk like that while I'm here because I'm, I'm going to say something about it. Mm-hmm.
0: And like I, mean, I said, maybe they don't change, but maybe they also stop making those comments at family gatherings, which then just makes it more easy for people who have experienced those types of things to feel a little bit more comfortable in that space just because they're not having to forcibly hear somebody actively blaming somebody for abuse that they may have experienced.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, Another way that language can kind of impact how people feel based on what we're saying is when you kind of belittle somebody's accomplishments. And I'm not saying like, like, oh, that's really not that big of a deal that you did that. But maybe saying things like, oh, you were finally able to do it. Or your sibling was able to do this. Why can't you do this? Or making somebody feel bad for their accomplishments, maybe because they didn't accomplish them either in the way that you thought they should or that time frame that you decided should be an adequate amount of time to accomplish that goal.
1: Right. So one of the things that Sean's kind of referring to here is um, what we sometimes call those backhanded compliments, where you might say to somebody, oh, my gosh, that outfit looks really great on you. Um, You know, you, you really... You've really come out of your shell since you lost that weight. It's a compliment because, hey, that outfit looks really great on you, but I'm going to throw in this other piece that diminishes the fact that you look good. Say so while that, that doesn't um, really go into any kind of like victim blaming or anything like that, it works on people's self-esteem. And they get to the point where they can't have a compliment without having a, but I could have done it better. I could have done it sooner. I could have done it faster.
0: Mm -hmm. and that that idea that what you accomplished isn't good enough even though for you that might have been like the most difficult task for you to do it's like so like like people who are experiencing some kind of like mental illness or like just having like a really depressive episode one day maybe them getting out of the bed and showering is like the largest hurdle that they could have even imagined for that day but you saying things that kind of diminishes those accomplishments. Like you don't know what's going on in that person's head. You don't know what's going on in that person's life. Those backhanded compliments or those things that diminish accomplishments really lay into that person's self-esteem, like Amanda said. But also, I'm already feeling bad about myself, and now I've accomplished something that I felt good about, and you're saying that it wasn't good enough. That would make someone feel so much worse And if that's how people are going to respond to me accomplishing things, why would I go out of my way to share those accomplishments with them or even try to accomplish things if I know I'm just going to be belittled regardless of what I did?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, And some of these conversations, you know, they don't even have to necessarily revolve around that. You could be talking about anything in someone's life and you say, oh, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. And start going on with the conversation when somebody in your family, someone in your life might be sitting there thinking, if everything happens for a reason, then what was my abuse for? And a victim should never feel like there was a reason for their abuse because there is not. So not everything does happen for a reason. Sometimes things are just shitty and they shouldn't have happened anyway And to try and give people this silver lining cloud that makes it okay that it happened is just really demeaning to their experience.
0: One of my favorites is it's all a part of God's plan. (laughs) And that's not to say anything about against anybody who is religious, because if you genuinely believe that and that is reassuring to you, that's phenomenal. But by you saying that to somebody else who, one, you don't know if they're religious or not, but even if they are religious, they might not be in a good place to be wanting to hear that. Like if I'm being abused in my relationship and someone's saying, oh, it's just all a part of God's plan. So it's God's plan to put me in a situation where I'm going to be abused. That sucks. It's they're well-meaning comments, but the way that someone may interpret them could be vastly different. And recognizing that really kind of helps dictate how you can have those conversations or what comments you can make to somebody that might make them feel a little bit better or at least reassure or validate what they're experiencing. Really just like, oh, wow, that sucks. I'm sorry that happened to you. That can go so much further because it's validating, it's recognizing, and maybe they don't want help right now. Or they don't want your help or opinions on what they're experiencing. They just want someone to talk to.
1: And I can hear people right now in my head just going, no one's going to tell me how to talk in my house. And, you, you know, those comments that you are likely to hear from certain people. Um, and, yeah, so maybe that's true. Maybe you are in their house and, you you know, you can't tell them how they can or can't talk. But that doesn't mean you have to actively participate in it either. And it also doesn't mean that you can't speak up from your own side. And then if they have a problem with that, they're more than welcome to ask you to leave their house. Um, I There's been plenty of times where in my family, conversations start and I'm like, hey, that's, that's not appreciative. I don't like the way that you're talking about this person. I don't like the way you're talking about these things. And... If it continues, I'm going to leave because I don't want to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to call out your family member in front of everybody and say, you know what, the reason I'm leaving is because you won't change your words that you're using. It's going to maybe give them a little bit of incentive to say, okay, you know what, fine. And then later we have a conversation about how, you know, yeah, I was overreacting and maybe I shouldn't talk like that. And I realize it really bothers you. I'm going to try harder that's perfect it's not always going to happen but it can
0: yeah I can tell you right now that I over conversations that I've had with some family members over the past like you know year and a half over the course of this pandemic that I am fairly certain that I'm like pushing the limits of them just being like or at least pushing my limits of me just not showing up because like there I have the amount of times I've had to have the same conversation with some family members To where at this point, I'm just like, all right, they're just actively choosing this to say these things or to do those things at this point because they're clearly not even listening to me. And if they're not willing to listen to me, they're not willing to change. And if they're not willing to change, I don't want to hang around people who are using victim blaming statements. I don't want to hang around people who are actively saying things that cause harm to other groups of people. And that's all right, too. If you feel like that your family is not good for your mental health, you do not need to show up to Thanksgiving. We've mentioned this before on the podcast, I believe last year around the same time. But if your family is a huge mental health drain, you don't got to show up. (laughs) It might suck and it might be a really hard choice to make. But if it's going to be detrimental to your mental health or put you in a situation where you might feel unsafe, you don't have to be there.
1: Absolutely. Um, you can avoid those those holiday gatherings altogether. You can have your own where you interact with smaller groups of people on a limited basis because these are the ones that you feel comfortable with. Um, there's a lot of options. And like Sean said, it might not be easy. It you know might break grandma's heart if you're not there. But that doesn't mean you can't go talk to grandma outside of the family Thanksgiving.
0: And if you are someone who, you know, has noticed that a family member has stopped showing up to family things and you want them there, reach out to them and figure out why. Maybe they'll feel comfortable enough talking to you and telling you what is wrong. And then you can work on trying to address that instead of making the person who has been made to feel uncomfortable in those family settings be the ones who have to try to solve the problem.
1: Exactly. I am um, maybe not so wonderfully known in our family circles as the girl with no filter because if you do things that make someone that I care about uncomfortable, I'm going to bring it up and I'm going to say it to you. And that's because I don't think that they should have to I am confident enough and comfortable enough to tell you what you're saying is inappropriate, and that's just what it's going to be. And so then I have this, you know, oh, Amanda doesn't have a filter. Well, you know what? That That's okay with me. I don't need to have a filter if it means that I'm standing up for somebody who's not feeling comfortable because of someone else's language. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so really kind of pivoting from that point. <laughs> uh, <laughs> A little tangent there. <laughs>
1: That's
0: all right. One of the um, the other parts of language we want to talk about is the use of inclusive language or the non-use of inclusive language. The reason for using inclusive language, whether it's gender inclusive language or just being all-encompassing of different people's identities, whether those are racial identities, sexual orientations, is specifically to validate people if their gender identity if their sexual orientation is being excluded from a conversation or is being actively omitted that is invalidating of those of that person that's invalidating of their identities and if they don't feel validated or feel like they can even be a part of that conversation because of the language you're using it's kind of dehumanizing but also really makes that an unsafe space for someone And I know people have an issue with the term safe space, but especially at a family gathering, wouldn't you want that to be a space where all of your family members feel safe and comfortable?
1: Right. What's the point of having a family gathering if you're going to alienate certain members of your family? Um, So this could be something like, okay, boys, everyone is invited to come and you can go ahead and bring your girlfriends. What if someone doesn't have a girlfriend? Can you say partner? Is it is it that outside of your scope to say, you know, hey, you can all bring your partner, your significant other, whatever, to Thanksgiving because I want them all to be invited too. So even with that, like, I'm meaning well by trying to invite everybody. You might alienate or exclude someone in your family by making them feel like, well, I can only bring someone if they meet these gender norms.
0: Yeah. And this may feel really nitpicky to some people, but what I want you to recognize and what I'm hopefully, hopefully, our listeners are taking away from this is that we are the people who have to dictate how our language is. And if we are using language, That makes other people uncomfortable or makes it feel like we are invalidating or dehumanizing people based on what we are saying. It's on us to be the ones to fix those things. Because I am sure nobody. I am sure most people aren't going to go through their day to day lives and be like, I want to harm someone today with what I'm saying. I want to make someone feel bad. And. If you don't want people to feel bad, just learn how to fix your language a little bit to make it so that you can have conversations with people without them getting offended. And yes, I know it's another buzzword of like, oh, you're just offended or you're, oh, you're just a snowflake or just.
1: Everyone's so easily offended nowadays.
0: Yeah. It's not that people are easily offended. It's just that your language or the things that you're saying are not allowing for everybody in that space to feel like they have a part. And if your language is isolating people, that's an issue.
1: And it's your issue, not the person who's feeling isolated's issue.
0: Yeah. So when we do have those inevitable moments where we're going to say something that somebody is going to be offended by because I can tell you right now Amanda and I are not perfect and I am sure we have both had conversations with people even while doing the work that we do that we didn't use the correct language for something or we didn't express something in a way that allowed for everyone to participate or to feel comfortable in that space so even we make mistakes like we've said before we are definitely not perfect
1: definitely not
0: So one of the first things you can do if you recognize that what you're saying has maybe made someone feel uncomfortable um, or they point out to you that what you said was incorrect, don't get defensive. It's very easy for us to immediately jump to, oh, well, I didn't mean it that way or you just took it the wrong way or like something along those lines. Try to not do that because as soon as you become defensive, that other person now also feels like they have to be defensive. And also becoming defensive makes it really difficult to kind of actually hear what that person is saying because now you're feeling like what they're saying is an attack on you. It's not an attack on you. They're pointing out that what you said wasn't accurate or was incorrect or was potentially harmful. And if you're able to calm those defenses, it makes it a lot easier to learn from what you, what mistake you've made, but also learn how to rectify that so you don't make the same mistake again
1: the next thing that you can do is apologize say you're sorry for whatever mistake it was that you made that was hurtful or harmful and acknowledge it and just move on um oh i'm really sorry insert correct pronoun said blah, 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 blah. Carry on with the conversation. You don't have to stop and make a big deal about it. You don't have to draw unwanted attention to what it is that you're talking about because the bigger deal that you make of it, the bigger deal it's going to be in general. And this might be a sensitive subject for someone that you're talking to and then you all of a sudden are drawing all this unwanted attention toward it. You're doing more harm than good by just instead of just moving on.
0: Yeah. And then the last part of that is express your gratitude for being corrected, because that can be a very difficult thing for someone to do, especially like if it is a family member or a friend, because it's really hard to like call out our friends and family on things. If it's some stranger, easy. I don't know this person. I don't care what this person thinks about me. But if it's a friend or a family member, we usually at least sometimes care about those people and care about what their opinions are or what they think of us. So us calling them out on what they're saying as potentially being harmful is a very difficult thing to do. So if you can express that gratitude towards that person, like, thank you for making that correction, I'm sorry, and I will commit to do better. Or phrasing it a little bit differently than that because you know, that sounds very, very like scholarly, or- I will um, commit
1: to doing better.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So you can phrase that however you want, but be grateful that they feel willing to be able to call you out on those things because it means that they genuinely care about you and care about the things that you're saying and then move forward from there move on continue the conversation and you like like i said you don't need to keep drawing attention to the thing that you said that was incorrect
1: right and by them giving you that correction that wasn't defensive that was just a simple correction it's also showing you how much they care about you and want to engage with you in a way that's comfortable for them and if they really didn't care about having a conversation with you or how they're communicating with you they would probably just ignore it and go on because they don't plan on having more conversations with you so just that little bit of interaction we're saying you know this is going to make our conversation that much more meaningful to me, it, it can be a big deal. So, um, you know, I I love to be corrected. If I say something wrong or if I say something that, you know, you don't agree with in in what is harmful or what is not harmful, and you want to give me a little call out on it, you want to correct me on it, It gives me a chance to learn, and it makes me feel like you appreciate me enough to have this conversation with me, and you feel safe enough to have this conversation with me. That's important.
0: And one final note that I want to leave our listeners on today is that language is representative of our culture and our society. The things that we say, the the phrases that we have in our day-to-day language is representative of the culture and society we live in. So if we have language that is victim-blaming, if we have language that is isolating of people or not inclusive of other people's lived experiences or their identities, that represents then a culture that also does not value that inclusivity, that does not value other people's lived experiences or that does not value victims. And if we want to live in a society or in a community that all people can feel comfortable living in, we have to monitor what our language is and correct those things so that everyone can feel valued and comfortable in that society or community. So, thank you all for listening today. Please feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Touchy Subs Pod to keep up to date with what we have going out. Please feel free to email us any questions, comments, or concerns to touchy at gmail.com. And please rate us on your favorite podcast listening app. It really does help the show out.
1: And in the meantime, don't be afraid to challenge, ask, and discuss when it comes to touchy subjects.